this is my first time back. I haven't preached in a month, so I'm going to have to get the rust knocked off of this a little bit. Um, I also want to thank those who filled in for me while I was gone. My mom passed away December the 1st, and I've been tied up taking care of my dad, uh, who is grieving the loss of his wife of 60 years, as you can imagine. And so many people have just stepped up and filled in while I've been gone. I want to thank John and Brian and Chris, who's away on a business trip today. She'll be coming back uh, this week. Uh, and, all, and Cindy and all the group leaders that hung in there and, and, and did all the ministry. You guys didn't slow down a bit. I, I've come, like I said last week, the only reason I'm here is to make sure the chairs are straight on Sunday morning. That's the only reason I'm here. You guys don't even need me apart from that, just saying. Uh, so I've, got, I've still got my tape measure with me. I'm not afraid to use it. And uh, anyway, <laughs> it's good to be back. I have a, a message I want to share with you this morning. I like to use the first part of every year to kind of help us refocus on the most important things. And there's nothing more important than Jesus, Amen. So we're going to spend the first four Sundays of our new year, new decade, focusing on what we believe as a church, and what we believe as a church has everything to do with Jesus and what Jesus did for us. So let's get into that. Have you, have you ever asked yourself the question, what does your church believe, or do you just show up on Sunday mornings and just kind of go through the motions? I hope you actually stop and think about it. What does CLF believe? I get asked that question quite a bit when I'm out talking with people. They ask me, what is your church all about? What does your church believe? And maybe you're new to Christian Life Fellowship, haven't been here very much, or maybe today is just your first day, and that's one of the questions on your mind. What is this church all about? Why do they do what they do? Why do they have these ministries and programs in place? We have programs for kids and programs for people in recovery and programs for adults and small groups and Bible study. Why do we do all this? Well, we do all this because of what we believe. What we believe will always motivate you to do what you do, right? It should. So those are good questions. What does CLF believe? Why do we do what we do? And those are questions that we ought to be able to answer when people ask us about our church. What does your church believe? So what is the answer? What do we believe? Well, for the sake of simplicity and for brevity, I'm going to boil everything we believe down to four simple statements. And it's these four core beliefs that make us who we are. It's these four core beliefs that direct our implementation of, of programming and ministries. It determines how we spend our money as a church. These four core beliefs are the foundation that help us stay focused on doing what we do, preaching what we preach, teaching what we teach. And these four truths are really simple. And I'm going to frame them all in terms of Jesus, because He, after all, is the focus of everything, right? These four truths, jot them down if you want to. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our baptizer, and Jesus is our soon-coming king. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our, is our healer. Jesus is our baptizer, and Jesus is our soon-coming king. We're going to take each of these truths, one at a time, 
These are not definitive sermons or statements. There's so much more that could be said that I've had to leave out. So, so don't take what I say as, you know, everything that can be said about it. But I want to talk to you today about Jesus as our Savior. Jesus, how many of you have experienced for yourself Jesus as a Savior? If you have it, you need to. Because that's our primary message. God loves you. And through Christ Jesus, you can be saved. We're going to talk about that. Let's pray before we get into it. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to be back here today. I thank you for the opportunity to speak to this wonderful group of people. I ask you to give us all ears to hear. I ask you to give us all a heart that's eager to receive your word so that we'll do something with it. So that your word can produce fruit in our life. Fruit that brings you glory and honor. I ask you today, Father, to use me as a servant. Just get me out of your way. You speak through me. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would use these words to stir us into action. To help us focus our attention on what's most important. To help us to put into place those things in our lives that need to be in place. So that we might glorify your name in 2020. That's why we're here, to bring glory and honor to the wonderful, powerful, majestic name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Real simple, real quick, then we're going to share communion together. The first truth I want to focus on this morning is Jesus is our Savior. If you have the church app, the notes will be on the church app. I encourage you to download that. You can follow along. In Isaiah 45, 21, God says this to us. He says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now God's making a declaration there and we need to hear it. God is saying to us clearly, turn to me and be saved. Now I don't know about you, that raises a question in my mind, saved from what? Saved from what? What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved, first of all, from ourselves. I don't know about you, I am by nature a screw-up. And when I operate in my own wisdom, doing my own things my own way, I find that I ruin everything I touch. Because by nature, I'm self-centered, selfish, and it's all about me. And that tends to drive people away. I don't understand that. I think I'm a pretty good guy. I need to be saved from myself. I need to be sa- we need to be saved from our mistakes. We need to be saved from our missteps, our stupidity, our sins. We as, a, as human beings have a habit of shooting ourselves. Come on now, I'm not the only one, right? We have a habit of shooting ourselves in the foot and messing everything up. And I bet you can trace all of your misfortune back to the day you made a dumb decision and it took you on a path you never intended to go, causing you to do things you never thought you'd ever do. As a matter of fact, you set guidelines for yourself, boundaries. I will never do this. I will never be like that. And yet you find yourself doing that exact same thing. Right? I know we're all in the same boat. We need to be saved. We need to be saved from ourselves. But more importantly, I want you guys to follow me here. More importantly, because you don't hear much about this out there, we need to be saved from the coming judgment of God. We need to be saved from the coming judgment of God. 
The Bible warns us again and again, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, that there's a day of judgment coming for all of us. And we need to be ready for that day when it comes. Romans, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Let me read that again. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us that there's this day of judgment coming, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's a day of judgment coming. And we want people, we, I want you to be aware that there's a day of judgment coming. And there's a day coming when you're going to stand all alone. It will just be you and Jesus meeting each other face to face and you're having to give an explanation for why you did what you did. I don't know about you, that kind of scares me. Terrifies me a little bit because I know in and of myself, I've got nothing to bring to the table. But here's what God is telling us. God is saying, I will save you. I will save you from yourself. And I will save you from the judgment that's coming if you turn to me and put your trust and faith in me. He will save us from the mess we've created. I'm going to stop right here. I could ask for testimonies right now of many, many people in this room. You're already sensing, seeing for yourself how good God is at restoring to you things you thought you had lost forever. He is so good at coming back and helping us clean our mess up. Come on. Some of, you moms, some of you moms are getting your kids back. Some of you men are getting your careers back. Some of you guys are getting your minds back. Remember when you were so crazy? Come on. God is so good at cleaning our mess up. It's saving us from the mess we've created. And he's so gracious to save us from the judgment that's coming. And see, that's exactly why God sent His Son, Christ Jesus, to planet Earth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is the purpose for Christ's coming. Christ said Himself, if He had a life, a life verse, it would have been this. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. You and I were lost. We needed saving. Saving from ourselves. Saving from the judgment to come. And that's why Christ came to save us. It's true that Jesus came to show us what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we look to Jesus, we see what, what God is really like. And it's true that Jesus came to teach us how to live. He sets for us an example of how we should live. Right? But he's far more than that. And that's what I, I, we need to understand as we launch into this new year, that everything we do comes back to this truth. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a good man. He's more than the Son of God. He is our Savior. He is our Savior. That's why he came, to save us. Jesus came to help us clean our mess up so we could begin to live the kind of life that God created us to live so that we could bring glory to God through the good works that he does through us. But he also came to save us from the judgment that's surely coming so we can live with him forever in heaven together. 
That's what we're being saved from. That's what he wants to save us from. Most of us in this room have, we know we've been saved through Christ by grace through faith. We know that. But there are some in this room that haven't yet experienced that for themselves. They're still on the outside looking in. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus came to save you. He came to set you free. He came to help you clean that mess up. He came to help you escape the judgment that's coming. What He's done for most of us in this room, He wants to do for everyone in this room. And what He's done for most of us in this room, He wants to do for everyone who lives in this world today. That's why we're here, to proclaim the good news that we can be saved through Christ Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we get our hands dirty in ministry. That's why we do the very, very best we can to get along with one another so that the love we have with one another is, is an expression of God's love to the world. It's why we sing the songs that we sing. It's to point people to Christ who set us... You know, I love this about our church. I hear this all the time. Man, your people really like to sing. Like, yeah, because we know what we're singing about. We know what we're singing about. You guys really, you really get loud when we're singing about songs of freedom. Why is that? Because now you know what freedom is. You really love to sing when we sing songs of grace. You know why? Because we have experienced grace. And we want the world to know. That's why we do what we do. Listen, 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 6, uh, 2 uh, verse 4 says this, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants, would you read that verse with me? God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The truth is this, Jesus is our Savior. You can look in other areas for rescue, for escape. You can look to all, any number of things to clean up the mess you've made of your life, to rescue you from the coming judgment that we know in our hearts is coming, because it can't keep going on this way, can it? You can look any number of other religions. You can look into uh, counseling and education. You can try to find it in a pill or a bottle. Let me tell you something. The only way to be saved is Christ Jesus. That's the truth. He is our Savior. There is no... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only means of salvation. No other name in heaven or on earth can save you but the name of Jesus. So we believe, first and foremost, that Jesus saves. As a church, we believe this. As a church, we preach it, we teach it, we sing it. Are we going to try to cram it down your throat? Absolutely. Because it's your only hope. Why wouldn't I want to impress upon you? Here's the deal, guys. Listen, all of you who are in our recovery groups at MSP, if we work hard to help you get sober, but we never present to you the good news that Jesus Christ saved you, we have done you a disservice. Yes. If we help you put your families back together through our counseling sessions, and we may have used the Word of God to do it, using that in our counseling. If we help you put your families together, but you never give your heart to Christ, we have, we have done a disservice to you. To be saved is the first and foremost priority of our ministry. We want you to know Jesus as your Savior. Because if you know Jesus as your Savior, 
He'll put your life back together. If you know Jesus as your Savior, He'll rescue you from the judgment that's coming. You know Jesus as your Savior, He'll make you sober. If you know Jesus as your Savior, He'll put your family back together. You need to know Jesus as your Savior. That's the good news that we preach. That's the gospel message that we bring. And I just want to refresh you before we go on any further into this new year, any further into this message. I want to remind you what the gospel is all about. And I want you, if you will, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at just a couple of verses. I want to remind you what God has done through us, done for us through Christ Jesus. Just by, I could have picked any number of verses in the Bible. For some reason, God led me here. I want to remind you, if you're saved, if you have trusted Christ already, I hope you're reminded where God has brought you from, what you used to be before he brought you out of the nonsense that used to be that life. If you are not yet a believer, if you haven't yet trusted Christ Jesus, then what I want to do today, and I've been praying all week long about it, is I want the Lord to impress upon you the need, your need, to be saved to know Christ Jesus as Savior. This gospel message is really simple. There's nothing, there's nothing complicated about it if you see it for what it is. I'm just going to point it out real quick, and I'll go through it really quick, then we're going to share communion together. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You see, the good news has to start with some bad news. And the bad news is, you're a mess. I'm a mess. And I need rescue. And so do you. Now, here comes the good news. But now, say but now. But now now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Let's break this message down a little bit. Let's unpack it. I want you to get the the power of it, the truth of it, because I want you to be able to communicate it to people out there that haven't yet heard. How many of you know people that haven't been, they don't know Christ? They may be so far away from him right now, but isn't that where you used to be? Christ is calling you to be a missionary to your world, to take this message to the people out there, just as I'm going to bring this message to you this morning. The gospel message is simple. Paul points out its simple truth and its incredible power. He begins by reminding us, first of all, who we used to be before we accepted Christ as Savior. We were once alienated from God. Alienated. Y'all know what that word means? Separated. Alienated. It's a harsh word. It sounds really hard. But that's where we were. We were really hard in our hearts. We were separated from God. Alienated means estranged, divorced, separated from. Genesis tells us that man was made in God's image, and God did this so that we could enjoy an intimate relationship with him. But instead, what we chose to do is we chose to alienate ourselves from him. We walked away from God. You could put it this way, we divorced ourselves from God. We turned our back and headed off in the other direction. And that's why Isaiah 59 says, but your iniquities, your sins, your rebellion have separated you from God. That's where we once were. We were also more than that. We were enemies of God. (laughs) That's a a funny image to me because 
it seems so funny to me now because I'm on the other side. I believe in God and I've come to recognize how powerful and immense God is. But I think of us as when, when, when I consider people who are alienated from God and are still very much enemies of God in their minds, demonstrating it through their evil behavior, I, some of that evil behavior kind of looks like this. You know, we're, we're, we're these little bitty tiny specks in the universe. We got our fists clenched and we're pointing it up to God saying, come on, God, I got gotcha. you. Come on, you want some of this? And it's like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? You want God as your enemy? No, 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 no. Anyway, we're enemies. We were once enemies of God. Our thoughts and our actions demonstrated our rebellion against God. Not only did we alienate ourselves, but we actively opposed him and his right to rule and reign over us. Romans chapter 12 in the Message Bible puts it this way. What happened was this, Paul says. People knew God perfectly well. How many of you were raised in church? You kind of had a basic underpinning of morality and ethics. You kind of knew what God expected, kind of knew what God wanted you to do. But when you came into your own, where there was no maybe accountability in your life because of parents or grandparents, you kind of did your own thing. And you said, I know what to do. I ain't going to do it. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. See, this isn't just a statement about humanity in general. It's a statement about people like you and me. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt? Enemies of God. Come on, God. Come on, God. I got you. Look, as enemies of God, alienated from God, we found ourselves running headlong down a path towards self-destruction. Our minds were confused about what was right and what was wrong. Things that we knew deep down we should not be doing, we find ourselves diving headlong into it thinking somehow we were enjoying it when really it was, it was a trap. Our consciences were hardened against the truth. Our lifestyles became immersed in selfish and harmful behavior. Now we tried to justify ourselves in all kinds of ways. Let me, let me see if this is, this is the way I did it. This is what I tried to do when I was in my lostness. Maybe the, you did some of the same things. We tried to justify ourselves in all kinds of ways. To make ourselves think that what we're doing is okay. We tried to soothe our consciences by using denial. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, how come your wife just walked out on you again? Because she cannot stand your behavior and the way you treat her and talk to her. We tried diversion. The devil made me do it. My mom had red hair, she grew up, I got red hair, and I can't help myself, I just got an anger problem. No, 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 no. Your red hair has nothing at all to do with your anger problem, Angela. I'm kidding, Angela. <laughs> she's, she's my favorite ginger. Rationalization. We're good at that, y'all. We can rationalize our sins so easy, can't we? Well, you'd have done the same thing if you'd been in my shoes. Let me tell you what I've been through. Nobody's had it like me. 
rationalizing away our wicked behavior. Renaming it. We like to do that too. This culture has gotten really good at renaming things. It wasn't adultery, it was just a fling. I didn't steal it, I just borrowed it permanently. We like to rename things, don't we? But I, prom- I don't know if, if this is, was you before you came to Christ, but this was me. No matter what I did to justify myself, there was something deep down inside that let me know this isn't right. It's just not right. I can't keep on doing this. Something is wrong. Something is broken. Something needs to be fixed. It may have all seemed like fun and games for a while, but then reality began to set in, and we realized the road we were on was taking us to a place we didn't want to go. It was turning us into something we never wanted to be. Is that your testimony too? Because that's my testimony. Before I knew Christ as Savior, I knew there was something dreadfully wrong with me inside. It was broken. And I needed to be fixed. And I needed somebody to come in and set me straight. And that's where the good news comes in. See, that's the bad news that sets you up for the good news. And the good news is this. God has done, you could not do for yourself. God did it. God did it. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message, the heart of it. Let's talk about what God did for us. We've examined a little bit about about what we were before we came to know Christ as Savior. Well, what did God do for us to rescue us? God stepped in with this rescue plan, the simple gospel. Verse 22 puts it this way, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Here's what God did. God has reconciled us to him. We used to be alienated from God, but now God has reconciled us to him. We used to be enemies of God, but now God has made us his friends and his family. He sees us now as his sons and his daughters. He completely has changed everything about us. Our identity is completely changed. No longer children of darkness, but now we're children of light. No longer are we his enemies, but he calls us sons and daughters. I don't know about you, that gets me pretty excited. I need to learn to walk in that new identity that he has given me. He has reconciled us to him. John 1.8 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, listen to this, he gave the right, the right to become the children of God. Oh, man. And I thought I was too far gone. I thought I'd done too much. I thought my mind was too twisted. I thought there was too much baggage. I thought I'd burned every bridge. Oh, no, 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 no. God wants to reconcile you to him. He wants to call you not his enemy. He wants to call you his friend, his family. He wants to call you his son, his daughter. That's who he wants to be in your life. How did he do it? That's what he did. How did he do it? By Christ's physical body through death. Now, this is, this is too big a topic to, to try to handle here. I just want to point out quickly what, what, Christ, what God is saying here. Christ's physical death on the cross is what saves us. Christ's physical death on the cross is what saves us. His death paid the penalty for the sins that we did. 
He took upon himself all of our sin and died in our place on that cross. Theologians call it the substitutionary atonement. We preach the substitutionary atonement. It should have been us on that cross. But Christ said, no, I'll take their place. I'll die in their stead so that they can go free. You see, by doing this, by dying for us, by paying the penalty for our sins, Jesus opened the door for us to be reconciled to God. He said, I am the door. And that's exactly what He is. He is the doorway to salvation. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. Man, we're not separated from God anymore. As a matter of fact, the Bible says now we can boldly, confidently enter into His throne room, the throne room of grace. We don't have to fear punishment anymore because His perfect love has thrown all that out. There's no more fear in Him. Fear has to do with punishment. We're no longer afraid of being punished. He sees us as sons and daughters. He invites us to come in. Everything has changed because of what Christ did for us on that cross. And boy, that's a topic to explore, and I encourage you to go home and start reading some scripture about it. So that's, we've learned what God has done. He's reconciled us. We've learned how he did it through Christ's physical death. What has God done? Why has God done it? This is where it ought to get really cool for us. Because you thought you were too far gone to ever be made right. Why has God done it? Why did he send his only begotten son to die in our place on the cross? If it had been me, I would have just said, forget y'all. I'm starting over. But he said, no, I'm not giving up. Why has he done it? To present you holy in his sight. God has done all of this for us in Christ Jesus to present us holy in his sight. God doesn't save us just to keep us from going to hell. I want you to hear that. If God's purpose was simply to save us, to take us to heaven, then after you came and said a prayer and offered your life to him, and Christ, through the Holy Spirit, came into your heart, born again, if all that, if all that was about just going to heaven then why wouldn't he just translate us up there? Why wouldn't he just snatch us up right then? He's got more in store for us, more in mind for us than that. And one of the things is he wants to to make you a testimony to the rest of the world of what his power can do to transform a human life. He has come to make you holy. He comes to make us holy. He saves us to make us holy. Holy means to be set apart. God saves us so that he can set us apart for himself. He wants to make us completely his. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet, he wants to make us completely his, inside and out. He intends to transform us, create, recreate in us the character of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 puts it this way, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God saves us to make us His own. You are called by God to be His. You belong to Him, and I love this part, He belongs to us. He's our God. Our God. Without blemish. He's come to make us holy. He's also come to work all of the defects out of our character. To set us free from all of those evil desires that we're born with and that this world stirs up in us. God intends to transform us completely inside out. 
God intends to, to take every character defect and correct it. Every sinful tendency he's going to remove. God will not rest. Listen, listen, we use the word process around here a lot. This is a, a thing that theologians refer to as sanctification. Progressive sanctification. As we live here on planet earth, God is preparing us for the eternal glory that awaits us, and there is a work He's undertaking as we walk through this life, and that work is to make us holy so that we can be, be presented to Him as blameless. He intends to take every defect of character that we have, He intends to take every sinful tendency that we have, and removes it. He wants us to rid ourselves of it. It's a a process of growth and change and transformation. And everything we go through, Romans 8.28 tells us, whether good or bad, painful or joyful, every experience we have in this life, He uses to transform us, to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us holy, to rid us of those sinful... You know what? I was talking to somebody the other day about marriage. And I have found that one of the most important tools in God's toolbox for me is my marriage. More and more, to be honest with you, more and more the voice of God sounds an awful lot like the voice of Lorna Davis. She has a way of confronting me about some things that need to be changed in my life. And when I, instead of getting defensive and pushing back and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Instead, I have learned to keep my mouth shut. Listen to what she has to say. Take it to the Lord. Lord, is this really what's going on? Is this really the way I'm behaving? And I'm finding out more and more the Lord is saying, yeah, Mark. Lorna pretty much nailed it. That's got to change. Some of you guys are in MSP. And you're going through a process of change right now. Guess what? The voice of God in your life sounds a lot like Cindy Hildebrand. It may sound like Christy Ashworth. Jen Chapman. Sometimes it sounds just like one of your peers. And it just riles you up, doesn't it? Who are you to tell me that? Well, why don't you just take a deep breath and listen carefully to what they're saying? Because what they're saying, they may be putting their finger on something that's got to change. Sometimes it sounds like John Trahan, who in a counseling session says, you need to stop doing that. Sometimes it comes through the Word of God as you're reading it. It's something like, oh man, I see a lot of myself in that. Lord, Holy Spirit, change me. Break that tendency in my heart. I'm tired. I'm tired of running around that same mountain. I'm tired of beating my head against that wall. Look, everything that we're going through now, God intends to transform us, whether it's good or bad, painful or helpful. God is going to use every circumstance to mold us and shape us and conform us to the image of God, to the image of Christ. And I don't know about you, sometimes for me the process has been really, really tough. And there are things in my life I haven't wanted to face but I know in the end, it's good for me, and it will bring glory to God if I submit to the process. 
let him work. And let me, be, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this. Some of you right, probably today, I, in a group this size, I'm, I'm sure there are people right now, you found yourself this last week struggling again with some kind of temptation, stumbling and falling around on something you thought you had uh, gained victory over. Maybe it's a relationship that is just, it's, it's teetering on the brink and you find yourself doing the same things that cause that, 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 cause that relationship to get even closer to the edge where it's going to fall and be destroyed. Listen, you got to know this. You may want to give up on yourself and other people may want to give up on you, but God will not give up on you until his work is done. And that's exactly what Philippians 1.6 says. We can be confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you find yourself stumbling and falling or fighting against those same temptations, excuse me, temptations, or doing the same things over and over and over again that are holding you back or preventing you from, understand this, God hasn't quit on you. He keeps bringing you back to this place because he is, in, he is intent on helping you break through that barrier, on moving on in, his, in, his, in this walk with him, of breaking free of these tendencies and overcoming these character defects. God's not giving up on you. He will keep working in you until the process is done. And the process is done when you see Jesus face to face. Until then, what do I keep saying? Walk it out. Say it with me, walk it out. out. I'm going to get some bracelets with walk it out on it because some of y'all need them. You you give up too easy. You're giving up too easy. Don't give up. You keep walking this thing out. Let God do what he wants to do, okay? The other thing that we see here in this passage of Scripture about the gospel is this. The gospel sets us free from accusation. The gospel sets us free. The good news that Jesus has rescued us through his bodily death on the cross tells us this. That little girl is so cute. He wants to free us from accusation. How many of you have little voices in your mind that keep reminding you of what you did, of what you've done, of where you've been, of who you've hurt? You realize that that's a voice of condemnation. Condemnation always comes from the enemy. God has declared us innocent in Christ Jesus. We're justified through Christ Jesus because of our faith in him. That's another theological term that we could explore, and I'm sure we'll get into in some of our Bible studies and in small groups. But when we accept Christ Jesus, when we embrace him as our Savior, when we put our faith in him and experience the grace of God, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, All the charges, all of the accusations, that bill of indictment that someone could write down a list of all your wrongs, that's torn up and thrown away in the eyes of God. There may still be consequences to deal with here on earth, but God in his grace will help you work through those as well. And some of you have been amazed at what God has done there, right? Yeah, I'm telling you. But in the eyes of God, you are declared innocent. And those charges, that bill of indictment no longer applies to you. All of your accounts are paid in full, which is what Jesus said on the cross as he took his last breath. It is finished. 
The bill has been paid in full. The people who put their trust in me owe nothing anymore. We're free to live. God wants to free us from all those voices of accusation. He he, He has taken our sin, our past, present, and future sin, and He dumps it into the ocean, and He puts up a sign that says, no fishing. And I love what Corey Ten Boom says. Corey Ten Boom says, that's what she said, Jesus takes your sin, past, present, and future, dumps it in the ocean, that sea of forgetfulness talked about in the prophets, and puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to listen to those voices anymore. God saves us so that we can live today and forevermore without the shame and the guilt of our past dragging us down. Some of us are still weighed down by the shame and the guilt of the past. We find ourselves struggling with it. What we need to do is turn to God and say, remind me, God, what you've said about all that. And what God says is this, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Free. Free. Folks, let me tell you something. We believe that Jesus saves. And we have seen Jesus do marvelous things here. Many of us are walking testimonies of God's grace. I mean, we're like trophies of God's grace. We know what God has done for us and what God has done for us, He'll do for anybody. He's a gracious God. We believe that God wants to save every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever walked on this planet. And we are going to present that gospel the very best way we know how, as clearly as we know how, in everything we do. I love Royal Rangers, but if Royal Rangers doesn't lead, doesn't doesn't have as its focus bringing these young men into a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, then we have totally missed the point of why why we're here and what we do. Living recovery on Thursday nights when the recovery community here gathers, they need to know that Jesus is their Savior. You turn to Jesus, put your faith in Him, He'll make you sober. But the main priority of this church is to present to them Jesus as Savior. A gospel that saves, a gospel that transforms identity, purpose, meaning, everything about life. That's why we're here. That's what we believe. Are we going to cram it down your throat? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Because we know it's our only hope. If you're on a sinking ship, and we're all in a sinking ship, don't you know where the rescue's coming from? And if there's only one source of rescue, don't you want to know what it is? Don't you want somebody to tell you about it? So that you can be rescued? So that they can be rescued? Amen.